Let it go. Just sing, uh, and then you can infect whoever's in your car, and that'd be fine. Um, we are in part three of the uh, sermon uh, series called The Holy Spirit. And I called it that because I just didn't want anybody to be confused about what we're talking about. Guess what? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, many of you have been up to the camp that we are uh, a part of up, up north, about four or so hours north, depending on how fast you drive. And uh, it's, it's a fun experience. I know we didn't get to have that experience this year, but I just, I don't know, if you were a kid going to Bible camps, things like that, you don't understand that it, being a kid at Bible camp is fun. It's a good time, right? You have a good time, you see friends, all that. But being faculty at Bible camp is so much better. It is so much more fun because you get to do all that cool stuff, but you don't have to keep all the rules that the other kids have to keep. You get to do other stuff too, like stay up past bedtime and then not take naps during rest period. So at the camps that I go to, especially the one that I teach, the one I direct, you're a little bit more because your kids are real troublemakers and I just got to be on top of them all the time. But there's one that I teach, and when you teach, you have a little bit more downtime in the afternoons. And so one of my, I don't know, kind of favorite things to do up at camp is to get one of the camp bikes and go mountain biking. Now, the camp bikes are not mountain bikes. They're like baby blue. They have fenders. They're something that you would go down to the corner store and get a baguette and, you know, a cappuccino. And it's just like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They're not like mountain bikes. But that's all I had. I wouldn't bring my bike up. I'd always forget it, and I'd get up there and want to do this. And so I'd grab one of those bikes, and I'd go out on these ATV trails. No gears on these bikes or anything like that. It's just me pedaling, trying to stay ahead of the deer flies and the horse flies and the mosquitoes, just enjoying life. I used to wear headphones, but I stopped wearing headphones because there were, there's like big, scary animals around you. And I heard one crashing through the, the brush one time, and I'm like, man, the last thing I want to do is just be sitting there on my bike pedaling as fast as I can and have like a cougar attack me or something like that. So I listen for it now. So that way I'll know it's coming before I die. I'll still probably die. So one of the fun things about it is it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Um, if you can kind of look past the mosquitoes and all that, it's really pretty. Um, there's these huge pine trees and you're just biking through them. And I, the word that comes to mind is serene. So as you're going down these trails, you know, the sunlight is filtering through these pine trees and it's just... You know, it's just, it's beautiful. You can just be up there and you just get that, that vibe, that good vibe while you're up there. And um, w w so I go up there, I do this every year, kind of look forward to it in the afternoons, go on this like ridiculous bike ride, just, you know, imagine me, pedal power. Um, one year I go up there and uh, come around a corner and into this big uh, kind of area that I always enjoy enjoyed riding through and it, it, the pine trees were gone. They were gone. The, the whatever people had come through and clear cut. I got a picture of what it looked like. I mean, you just, you, you ride through there and it's just, it's like ugliness and it's just like destruction and you're just riding through like, you know, big heavy machinery tire tracks and it's bramble and thorns and brush and it's not pretty. This is not what you go up north to see. This isn't what people buy cabins up on lakes uh, to look at. It's, it's ugliness. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a bummer because you're going through there and the sun's beating down on you. And it's just, it isn't, it isn't what you want to experience. I'm sure this is really good for the economy. I'm sure people make money doing this. But this isn't that nice, serene uh, bike ride on a camp bike through the trees. This isn't what you want. This isn't what you expect. 
But this is a really good picture for something that we're going to talk about today. In fact, this picture is a metaphor that some of the biblical authors were trying to get the followers of God to understand. They were trying to get them to understand this is what your lives look like. It looks like death and destruction and stumps and brush and ugliness. The prophets in the Old Testament had been prophesying for, for hundreds of years that if you guys don't choose life, this is what's coming. You're, you're, the flourishing tree of the nation of Israel is just going to be cut to the root and you guys are not going to like what this looks like or what this feels like. And so they've been using metaphors like this to try to get people to understand you've got to change your ways. And of course they didn't. And remember last week we talked about that downward spiral and they just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And eventually God says, fine. And he sent in the nation of Babylon, which was just this nasty, awful, violent, horrific nation. And they just came through and they clear cut the nation of Israel over the course of decades and left it looking like this. Now, in the book of Isaiah, and that's where I want you to turn to, if you would, this morning. The book of Isaiah, chapter 11. I want you to see where this author picks up on this metaphor. Isaiah, chapter 11. He says this, verse 1. He goes, a shoot, a little, a little plant, a little leaf will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. A little shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, this is Hebrew poetry prophecy this is not how we would write poetry or prophecy this is he this is their their culture their language uh and it's always just a little cryptic they never just come out and mean exactly what they say so they say things for example like uh the stump of jesse the stump is the nation and it's been cut to the root things are looking bad things are looking rough but jesse who's this jesse guy i mean what jesse does anybody know who jesse is that's King David's father. So from the line, the lineage, the dynasty of David, there will come a shoot. There will come a boy. There will come a child. A little glimmer of hope will come up from this. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, do you notice the word branch? That's not a typo. It's capitalized. Do you know why the word branch is capitalized? Who could this possibly be talking about? I wonder to whom is the poet referring? What is this prophecy about? Who is this about? It's always Jesus, right? It's always Jesus. And this isn't actually in the uh, original language. They didn't have capitals. But our translators that gave us the NIV, it's kind of a little wink saying, we know who this is talking about. Just so you're clear, this is Jesus. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that doesn't seem fair. Maybe I should decide whether or not this is actually Jesus. But it's a pretty safe bet to say that the capital, the beak should be capitalized. Because this same exact phrase is used throughout the Old Testament and it's used in the New Testament to describe, guess who, surprise, surprise, Jesus. So from this, you're, the nation is destroyed, but from this, a little shoot will arise. A boy will come and he will bring back the Spirit. Now we're talking about the Spirit, so let me give you like the 30 second recap I, I'm not like trying to promote sermons online or anything, although you should go listen to them. Uh, we are building on the last few weeks. So if you haven't heard the last few weeks, let me try to get you caught up to speed. But I encourage you to go back. They're going to be on YouTube till YouTube shuts down. The idea of the spirit, and you guys remember the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. And it's the same word can be translated wind, the ruach, the wind, or breath, the breath. And so 
throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, the word is used as a metaphor to describe the breath of God coming back to breathe life into his people or the wind of God coming back to usher in a new era. The wind, the breath, the life, the spirit. That's that, that's that metaphor. And throughout the Old Testament, because we've been looking at the Old Testament up till this point, well, we'll st- we still are, Throughout the Old Testament, the, uh, the idea was is that the Spirit brings life to the lifeless. God breathes and he brings life into the lifeless places and light to the dark places and form to the formless places. And not only does he bring life, but then he empowers individuals throughout the Old Testament to do more than they could on their own. Certain individuals, Abraham, Moses, David, uh, could do more than they would be able to do on their own. They had skills and powers and capabilities on their own, but the wind of God filled their sails and sent them further than they could on their own. So life and power are the ideas around the Spirit. So that's the, I said 30 seconds, I lied. That's a little bit longer. Uh, recap of the last few weeks. Now, Hebrew prophecy, of course, is never straightforward, like I said. If we were writing this prophecy, we would say, hey, in 674 years, 32 days, and 17 minutes, at this GPS coordinates, this baby will be born. Bam, no doubt, no whatever. But they're writing from their categories. It's poetry. It's, a, it's, it's something that they understood in a way that we don't. Why didn't they just say Jesus was coming on this date? You know, he's going to be born at zero, you know, the year zero, actually. Ironically, Jesus wasn't born at the year. You guys know this, right? He was born about four years B.C. Jesus, because they got the dates wrong. Anyway, off topic. But this is prophetic Hebrew poetry, and they're not being cryptic for the sake of being cryptic. They're just using their categories. They're not our categories. It's not how we would write, but it's what made sense to them, and it certainly makes sense to us looking back on it. All right, verse 2, second part of verse 2. And it says, the spirit will of the Lord will rest on this boy. There will become a shoot. There will become a child. There will become a boy. The spirit will rest on this boy. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I do think it's fascinating. There are many verbs associated with the spirit throughout scripture. Being filled with the spirit, being led by the spirit, being guided by the spirit. But there's only two places that I could find, and I looked and looked and looked, two places that use the verb rest. The spirit will rest. And again, I don't want to make too much of it, but I thought this was worth noting. So here in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Does anybody have any guesses as to where the other place the verb rest is used in regard to the Spirit? In uh, all four Gospels, it talks about at the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit descended like a dove, as a dove. John chapter Uh, John chapter 1, verse 32, it says, Then John testified, I saw the Spirit from heaven like a dove and resting on him. It's kind of cool, right? Kind of cool. I think it's worth, like, at least paying attention to. Now, the the author, Isaiah, is going to go on to explain what the Spirit is doing. And there's a really important distinction here. He's going to give us six attributes of the spirit we're not going to go through each one but i just want you to see this is a resume of what we would want in a leader if we are going to follow a new king if a boy is going to grow up and lead us if there's going to be a new david then these are the types of qualities that we want in in them and so in isaiah chapter 11 second part of verse 2 into verse 3 it says uh, this the spirit of wisdom you want a guy who's wise and understanding You want someone who's full of of good counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. If you're looking for a leader, this is who you want. You want someone that fits this 
resume. This is the resume of Jesus. But here's a really important distinction that if you're kind of into this, we're going to get into some practical application here in about five minutes. But if you're into this, this is really important. This verse is not describing Jesus. It's not describing Jesus. It's a prophecy about Jesus. It's a prophecy about the boy coming in a capital B branch, but it's not describing Jesus. This verse is describing what the Spirit is going to do through Jesus. That may not seem like a big deal right now, but it might here in about five minutes. It's what the Spirit, it's describing the Spirit working through Jesus. They're describing someone who is perfectly in tune in step with the Spirit. Someone that the Spirit is filling their sails, that the Spirit is filling their lungs, that the Spirit is animating and guiding them and leading them, filling them. I want you to give, give you an example. So obviously we have this prophecy, capital B branch, and I want you to see just a bunch of verses. We're not going to read them all, but you can look them up later. I'll email it if you want. But a, a bunch of verses uh, in the New Testament that describe how Jesus operated in the Spirit. So just look at all these, starting in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus was born by the Spirit. He, he arrived on this earth through the power of the Spirit. He was baptized by the Spirit. That's what John said. He was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He taught by the Holy Spirit. All that stuff when people went around saying, this guy was amazing, he was an incredible teacher. That was the Spirit working through him. He was powered or empowered by the Spirit. So the, the miraculous things he did, walking on water, guess who's actually at work there? The Spirit, uh, casting out demons. This is specifically what Matthew chapter uh, 12, 28 says. He was raised back to life by the Spirit. So this is important. This is the theological point that's important that we don't want to miss because it's going to have important implications here in just a few minutes. Jesus did everything he did by the power of the Spirit. All right? And a lot of us would be like, yeah, okay, well, sure. Yeah, I know that. You could have just started there. You didn't have to go to Isaiah and all those. But this is important, and we need to anchor this truth in our minds before we get to what we're going to talk about here in just a second. Jesus did everything he did through the power of the Spirit. So what things did Jesus not do through the power of the Spirit? No things. Everything he did was through the power of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit, like Isaiah talks about, and he was guided and led and taught and empowered. Everything was the Spirit. All right, all right, this is theology, but this is why this is so important. Because if we're not careful, it could just be this abstract thought. Okay, that's great, Patrick. You just sit around in a desk reading your Bible all day, and you get into these weird abstract theological ideas. What does that have to do for our everyday life? Well, thanks for asking. I'm about to tell you. I want to give you humanity in three tweets. Humanity in three tweets. Um, <clears throat> tweet number one. This guy ordered a pizza. The pizza showed up. It didn't have any toppings. It didn't come in any toppings. It's just bread. Well, there's worse things than just having bread. But if you're looking forward to some delicious marinara sauce and mozzarella and pepperoni, then this is kind of a bummer. You, oh, you get your pizza and it's just bread. Like some incompetent employee at the store forgot to add the ingredients that make this something other than just bread. And so you, being someone who has paid for this food, you need to react and talk to the company. Twitter gives you a, a, an avenue to do that. So you tweet back at the company. These are real tweets. I didn't make these up, by the way. You tweet back at the company and you say, hey, Domino's, you just gave me bread. Next slide, if you would. 
You just gave me bread. Come on, where's everything else? We're sorry to hear about this, Domino says. Oh, good job, Domino's. You responded. We're sorry to hear about this. Please let our friends at Domino's UK, this guy's in England. So, but I'm telling you, he represents humanity. He doesn't just represent British people. Please let Domino's UK know of this so they can help. All right, good job. You complained, the company responded, customer service, they're probably gonna give them a new pizza, maybe a free voucher, maybe a couple pizzas, who knows? Good job, everybody's happy, except for one more tweet, next tweet. He says, never mind, I opened the pizza upside down. And I like this, I like this. Now, I would never do anything so silly, right? None of us in this room would ever do anything so silly. None of you have ever done anything that you would be embarrassed to let the room know about, right? That seems so, like, how many of you have ever looked for your car keys all over the house? Where are my car keys? Where are my car keys? Only to realize that they're in your hand. Oh my goodness, how many of you, I don't wear glasses, but how many of you have looked for your glasses? Where are my glasses? As you're looking through the glasses you're looking for on your head, where are my glasses? This is humanity. How many of you have ever tried to get into a car in a parking lot, but the car wasn't yours? Why is it, my key fob's not working. What is going on? Pull on the handle. It's, I don't, what's going on? Oh, the car only looked like mine. It wasn't actually mine. No big deal. You could get away with it, except that there's a passenger in the passenger seat thinking you're trying to break in, and they're terrified, and they're on the phone about to call the cops. Have you ever done anything like that? No? No? Nope. None of you? How many of you have ever walked into a grocery store, and the door won't open? The sensor won't work. What's wrong with these sensors? They should just go back to the old-fashioned way of opening doors. I mean, there's no problems there. Sensor, come on. Why won't it work? And you're waving at the sensor, trying to get it to work, only to realize you're standing in front of a large window, and the door is like 10 feet that way. Anybody ever done that? No? Nobody? The problem is, is this is humanity. This is us. In fact, literally, the phrase, I'm only human, means I make mistakes. That's how we describe ourselves. That's the best of humanity. I'm only human. That means I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I've got problems. Amen. Humans are silly. One of the most basic messages of Christianity, of being a disciple, is this. Be like Jesus. If you could sum it up in three words, that would be it. Be like Jesus. What do I need to do? Be like Jesus. Well, how do I need to live? What do I need to think? How do I need to, to serve others? How do, what, what kind of job should I get? What kind of career should I pursue? What kind of... Be like Jesus, right? That's, that's, that's it. That's what we tell our kids. That's what we tell... That's what we should tell everybody. Be like Jesus. Most of us, whether or not we realize this, we understand that phrase with a big asterisk right on the end of it. Be like Jesus. Okay, yes, be like Jesus, but... Jesus was perfect, and I'm only human. Be like Jesus, but Jesus was a son of God, and man, I'm a solid B student. Be like Jesus, yes, yes, of course. But Jesus was literally the son of God, descended to earth in human form. He could walk on water. He could make bread. He could, he could read minds, and I sometimes get in the wrong car in the parking lot. Be like Jesus, but of course, I can't be like Jesus because I don't have what Jesus had. I can't do what Jesus did because I don't have what Jesus had. I can't do what Jesus did because I don't have what Jesus had. And I don't know that anybody ever would actually admit that. I don't think we would be sitting in our chairs saying, yeah, well, yeah, I want to be like Jesus, but I can't really do that, so I'm going to just do my own thing. 
But I think that's in our minds somewhere. It'd be like somebody coming up to me and saying, Patrick, you need to run as fast as Usain Bolt. I don't have what he has. Namely, fastness. Skill, athletic ability. I don't have that. I can't do what he does. I will, unfortunately, sadly, never compete in the Olympics in the 100-yard uh, dash. It will never happen because I don't have what he has. If somebody came up to me and said, Patrick, you need to be as smart as uh, Stephen Hawking. Well, I, he's got some connections in his brain that I don't have. Things, math does not make sense to me. I don't have what he has. I can't do what he did because I don't have what he has. And what happens is that this idea in regard to our discipleship becomes spiritual defeatism. It's disguised as spiritual realism, but it results in spiritual mediocrity. And what we do is we walk around in our minds and we say things, well, I'm only human, I can't be perfect, I sin, I mess up, I sin every day. And we create these expectations of falling short of being like Jesus in our minds. We have that as an ideal, but then we have this as a reality. And how do we, how do we, how do we deal with the, the, the gap between the two? Hey, I'm not Jesus. This is exactly why the theology I was speaking of a minute ago is so important. And let me apply the two. Let's unpack the two and bring them together. Because there are actually two misconceptions at play here for a lot of Christians. There's two things that we tend to get wrong. And we don't usually think both things, but we think one or the other. And we need to deal with both of them so that we can clear these out of the way to understand what we are actually supposed to do through the power of the Spirit. Number one misconception is we have this idea that Jesus was some kind of superman. He was, he was Superman. He was, he was Superman disguised as mild-mannered Clark Kent. He put those glasses on and nobody could tell who he was. Like, Superman, how did you get to the top of the skyscraper so fast? Well, I flew. Clark Kent, how did you do it? Yeah, yeah just, just secrets. I, I'm Superman. And, of course, you couldn't tell anybody. Of course Jesus did things that we can't. He was just pretending to be human, but he was really the son of God, and could do all the God things. So, of course he could walk on water. I'm never going to be able to walk on water. Of course he could read minds. I'm never going to be able to read minds. Of course he could live a sinless life. I'm never going to be able to do that because I'm not Superman. I'm not Jesus. Jesus had an unfair advantage. It's exactly like if you've ever watched, watched the Little League World, World Series back in the day, there'd be these kids that come up to bat, 13-year-olds that come up to bat, and they're like 6'3 and have a full beard. And you're like, I don't think that's a 13-year-old. He's hitting home runs right and left. I'm not sure. Why is his birth certificate in pencil? Something's suspicious here. Well, of course, if Jesus is the son of God and he's got God powers, he's Superman on earth, of course he's better than everybody else. We cannot attain that. Why should we try to be like Jesus? We could never be like Jesus because he's Superman and we're not. The Bible is very clear on this point. Jesus was not Superman. <laughs> that should probably go without saying. But Jesus... It says specifically over and over again that Jesus actually divested himself of his God-likeness. In the Old Testament, it says something pretty interesting. I want to get there in a second, but I want you to draw your attention to, because this is a pretty common assumption in, uh, in, in modern Christianity. Well, in ancient Christianity, too. In, in, uh, in medieval art, medieval and Renaissance art, when they depicted Jesus, you know how they would depict him? It, it still happens today. Uh, in these, both these pictures, can you tell me uh, which, which one of those guys is Jesus? Well, do we know that because we know what he looked like? Yeah, he's glowing. Which one is Jesus? The one that is glowing in the dark. The one that is a human nightlight. 
that's Jesus. Well, of course Jesus is easy to pick out of a crowd if he's got like a halo around him. Now they were doing that to try to help designate this as somebody special, this is somebody, but they, it, 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 it implies this idea that Jesus is other, that Jesus is not like us, that he's different and we'll never actually be like him. He floats above the ground. He's got a halo. He's not like us. My kids in their elementary chapel at their school sing a song called Jesus is my superhero, which just continues to reinforce that idea that Jesus is better than Superman, he's better than Spider-Man, he's better than Batman, who didn't have any superpowers but being rich, he's better than all those characters, but we can never really be like him because we weren't born on another planet and imbued with supernatural powers while we were on earth. Jesus is Superman and we're not. Isaiah 53, 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Oh, there's that word again. Same word. You see that this is a theme throughout scripture. Before him, like a tender shoot. He had no stately form. You didn't look at Jesus and say, there's just something about that guy. I mean, we look at humans sometimes and we say, there's something about them that I like. It's just something about them. Bible says Jesus didn't have whatever that was. Did you know, true story, if you're better looking, you will get hired more frequently and promoted more frequently. Did you know that? As a better looking human. So if you have never received a promotion, that's the world telling you that that isn't one of the gifts God has given you. But it says Jesus had no stately form or majesty to attract us. You wouldn't look at Jesus and say, there's something about that guy. He says he has no beauty that we should desire him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, Paul wrote, I don't know if he wrote it or he's quoting a poem about the same idea. Jesus, who being in very nature God, very nature God, did not consider that equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Have you noticed that in the life of Jesus when Satan says, hey, turn that rock into bread? And Jesus says, no, no, not going to use that to my own advantage. He divested himself of his superpowers and became a man he made himself nothing made himself nothing the incredible message of scripture is that jesus became human and listen did everything he did through the power of the spirit this is really 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 important jesus wasn't superman the other misconception we have and i, I find this is actually a little bit more common especially uh, maybe even among us is that jesus knew the secret he knew the secret. He knew the life hack. He knew exactly how to manage himself in such a way that he could, he knew how the world works. He knew to how, how to find the energy and the aura, whatever. Um, anytime, anytime people achieve incredible success, we want to know, well, what's the secret to your success? If they live a long time, we want to know what's the secret to their long lifespan. If they are the CEO, a uh, uh, titan of industry, we want to know. What do you do? And, and they'll give interviews and they'll say things like, well, I wake up at 3 a.m. and I do a thousand push-ups and, you know, I, I only read in Latin or whatever. And that's the secret to their success. That's why they've had so much success in their industry. And it can be anything. It can be an athlete. And you interview the athlete and, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I exercise, you know, 28 hours a day and... How do you do that? Man, that's impressive. Or, or you talk to like really popular right now are Instagram influencers. And these are people that create these 
picture, literally picture perfect images and make it seem like their families are better than every other family. And people, what's the secret to your success? Oh, I only buy this special kind of water and it just makes my family all happy and calm. And what kind of water is that? Oh, it's, you know, it's melted from Chilean glaciers and it costs $40 an ounce, but it is the secret. It, it makes everything perfect. I organize my life this way. I follow this calendar. I follow this method. It's the secret. We apply that same concept to Jesus. Think about it. We want to know what was Jesus' secret? What did he do? What did he know that just made him so influential and successful and so in tune with God that we don't know? How can we pull back the curtain? Because we dissect his life this way. We say things like, hmm, well, maybe it's because Jesus spent all night praying. And if I spent all night praying, then I could also be like Jesus. Or maybe it's because Jesus didn't have a nine-to-five job or a savings account. And if I just divest myself of, of everything and I get rid of everything and I just go live in the wilderness, then I too will be like Jesus and I will have that sort of communion with God. Or maybe it's because he had the Old Testament memorized and if I too just sat down and forced myself to memorize even just the first five books of the Bible, then I too could be in communion with God. Those things are great. You can do those things. Feel free. Those are not the secret to a great relationship with God. In fact, there's a whole cottage industry of books that try to uncover what is the secret. What is the secret? What did Jesus know? Jesus hacks. Life hacks with Jesus. How to sell like Jesus. Did you know Jesus was a salesperson, I guess? I, I guess that's what he was. Uh, nine portraits of Jesus. You know what that's about? That's about the Enneagram. And you know what this book says? I did a little snooping on this book. Uh, it says that Jesus was all nine numbers on the Enneagram. So evidently Jesus didn't have a personality or he had all personalities. I don't know. Uh, how about yoga and Jesus? That's, did you know Jesus? He was a yoga master. He knew all the stretches. That's how he got in tune with God. Uh, or about carpentry. Maybe if we just were a carpenter like Jesus, if we just worked with wood, worked with our hands, and we could be in tune with God. Or, or what about biblical minimalism? I mean, he, Jesus was a minimalist, right? Well, I don't know that he was a minimalist so much uh, by choice, but by necessity. I mean, he just didn't have any money or a home. Uh, my favorite, though, is, is jogging with Jesus. This is my favorite because it looks like it's straight out of, I don't know, the early 80s. And the guy on the cover doesn't look like he's in super great shape either. He looks like he's in okay shape, but maybe he hits a buffet occasionally. And I, I love that because there's, it's this implication that somehow if you, I don't know, what, I don't know what this is, but somehow it will get you in, in tune with God. Or, or even the, the Jesus diet, that's a great one. We know what Jesus ate, right? He ate fish and, and loaves, and then on the Last Supper he ate, uh, he ate some, some bread and some bitter herbs. We don't know what Jesus ate. We have no idea. We know what he ate for about three meals, and that was it. Otherwise, he could have been sneaking Twinkies. We have no idea. And so when people write entire books, how do you write a whole book on the Jesus diet? You have no idea. But the implication of these books are that some, somehow we can learn the secret. And if we learn the secret, then we can be like Jesus. Did you know there's even a book called The Secret? It's actually based on a Bible verse that they think you can manifest your destiny if you just speak these ideas into existence. It's not what Jesus said. 
Jesus didn't say, my power comes through manifesting my destiny. Jesus didn't say, my power comes through an all-vegan diet, and I only eat cruelty-free uh, fish. I don't know. Jesus didn't say, uh, Jesus didn't even know his Enneagram number. Did you know that? He didn't know. He didn't know his Myers-Briggs number. He didn't know his, he never took a personality test. He didn't know. It didn't help him be connected with God to know exactly the way he was wired. He didn't get into any, like, you know, getting things done method or Sigma 6 or, you know, this bulletin journal or this calendar and none of those things he didn't do any of those things jesus was not a perfectly symmetrical aesthetic human ideal with a photographic memory floating above the ground who was glow in the dark jesus was born into a poor rural hard-working blue-collar family parents were likely teenagers both of his parents were likely teenagers can you imagine that we call him a carpenter, but did you know it wasn't like Jesus, you know, hand carving tables? You know, Jesus, what, we call him a carpenter, but you know what he was? He was a construction worker. You don't normally think of construction workers as being these amazing theologians. I, you should, but we don't normally put those two and two together, you know? We don't think of these things as being the way that we connect with God. He never got married, never traveled, never got a college degree, never started a company, never had a savings account, never wrote a book, never owned a home, never had political office. He spent 10% of his life in, in, in ministry, and it was in this dark, dusty corner of the Roman Empire in opposition to the Hebrew leaders and the Roman leaders. Jesus didn't have a life hack that made it all work for him. You know what Jesus had Jesus had the Spirit. And here's the crazy thing. This is the mind-blowing thing about Scripture. Mind-blowing thing about discipleship is the Bible promises us that same Spirit. We have access to that same Spirit, the wind filling our sails. We're saying Jesus overcame temptation through the power of the Spirit. That he managed his time through the power of the Spirit. That he loved annoying people through the power of the Spirit. That he cultivated a prayer life through the power of the Spirit. That he controlled his temper through the power of the Spirit. That he navigated difficult life choices through the power of the Spirit. Not because he was Superman. Not because he knew the secret. But because he was fully engaged and in tune with the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says this. It says that, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, which is the promise, the mind-blowing promise, but it's been pro prophesied for centuries, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And not just at the end of time, but even now, because of the spirit who lives in you. Jesus wasn't Superman because he was the son of God. He didn't know the secret. He did what he did through the power of of the spirit this is so valuable for us to know we are saying that you can be like jesus that it's possible that you can erase the asterisks from that statement that you can be like jesus but not because you're trying really hard or you know the secret or whatever it is it's because your sailboat has the sails have been filled with the wind of god that your lungs have been filled with the wind of god just like jesus that's how he lived his life now jesus taught a lot about the spirit he had a lot of things to say about the spirit and i i just want us to to meditate on the fact that jesus lived by the spirit first that he did what he did through the power of the spirit we'll get to what he talked about next week he had some important things to say entire chapters and we won't read them all but entire chapters about what the spirit was what to expect with the spirit we'll talk about that later 
But we need to know that Jesus lived by the Spirit, and so can we. Now, you may have questions. You may think, well, wait a second. Uh, can I walk on water if I'm full of the Spirit? Well, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Can I read minds? Can I read hearts if I'm full of the Spirit? Can I do miracles if I'm full of the Spirit? If you have questions, awesome. That's exactly where we need to be with this topic. Because the Bible says the Spirit is mysterious. So if you have questions, great. Let's talk about those questions. Write those questions down. Put them in that box back there. Ask me, email me, whatever. We'll talk about them when we can. But if you have more questions than answers, I think that's a good place to be. Jesus did everything he did through the power of the Spirit, so can you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for being together this morning. God, we know that uh, at times like this where the world is different and things that, that we had as traditions like Thanksgiving and events and being with family are upended, it can make us feel so unsettled. But God, I pray that our lives would not be settled because we are keeping tradition or because we are doing things the normal way or doing things the way we want to do them. I pray that our lives would be settled because we are full of the Spirit of God. I pray that we could be like Jesus because of the same Spirit that was in Him is in us. We thank you for that promise. We pray that we would live in that truth this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.